Hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, big pod, honestly, you're thinking I'm hyping it too much, but you're not ready. We have Andrew Yang, entrepreneur, author, and former U.S. presidential and NYC mayoral candidate. So he's done a lot of other super impressive, very interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask him that much about. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here with you, Alexis. I admire your work. I do prefer just to talk about my resume, though. So if we could just... Stick to that. That would be delightful. You know, I get that a lot. I understand. People love to talk about work. We can't get enough of it. Genuinely, when this hit my radar and my team said, hey, do you want to do this? I was like, fuck yeah, because I don't have to talk about the same (laughs) shit. I mean, that'd be delightful. Exactly. Though I'm very passionate about my work and I love it dearly, (laughs) but you know what I mean. You're like, let the record show. I'm very passionate about my work. However, I would love to not talk about it for 50 minutes. That's right. (laughs) All right. Are you ready to dive in? Sure. Fantastic. Let's do it. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Bets Connect, a recruiting platform unlike any other. Whether you're looking to hire the best go-to-market talent or looking for your next opportunity, Bets can help. Bets has spent more than a decade building relationships with the world's most innovative companies and professionals. And for the first time ever, you can access this network with Bets Connect. As the only go-to-market recruiting platform built by recruiters and powered by recruiters, Connect enables you to search through a network of vetted go-to-market professionals actively looking for their next opportunity and make better hires faster. In addition, Bets Connect clients the ROI within 90 days. Plus, if you're looking for your next big opportunity, you can join the Bets Network and get connected with the world's most innovative companies that are looking to hire go-to-market professionals like you. Learn more about hiring top talent or finding your next role at betsrecruiting.com slash non-technical. Andrew Yang is an entrepreneur, author, philanthropist, nonprofit leader, and former U.S. presidential and New York City mayoral candidate. After being a corporate lawyer for five short months, joining a few startups and even launching his own company, Andrew eventually became CEO of an education company that became number one in the country. He then started a national entrepreneurship nonprofit, Venture for America. Leading the organization to become a national multi-million dollar charity, Andrew was named a presidential ambassador of entrepreneurship by the White House under the Obama administration and a champion of change for his leadership. In late 2017, Andrew decided to run for president with a vision to rewrite the rules of the United States economy. His movement around universal basic income and cash relief engaged over 3 million combined social media followers, raised nearly $40 million, and became one of the most exciting stories in the 2020 race. As an activist, Andrew has turned his movement into a political reality, launching a nonprofit, Humanity Forward, that has successfully lobbied Congress to bring billions of dollars in cash, relief, and stimulus checks to millions of Americans in need. He's the author of three books, including his newest work, Forward, outlining the problems he sees in the American system and a way forward to prevent the decline of democracy. He currently lives in Manhattan with his wife, Evelyn, and two boys, is an avid basketball fan and commentator on CNN, host of a weekly podcast, Yang Speaks, as well as serves as the founder of the Forward Party, aiming to fix 
our broken duopoly. Andrew Yang, welcome to Non-Technical. Oh, thank you, Alexis. Um, it's great to be with you. It's such a pleasure to be with you. I usually use this time to say how I know the guest or how we've interacted before, but I think that speaks for itself. And first and foremost, we're Twitter mutuals. It's great to be here. And I admire anyone who's positive, making a living creatively the way that you are. It's not easy. So I wrote my first book when uh, it was like 2014. I was the yeah. head of nonprofit that you were talking about. Yeah. And I, I remember looking at my wife and being like, how the hell does anyone make a living at just like being a creative or writing? Because oh, like yeah. I wrote this book and, you know, like I actually got a book deal on the rest of it, but it was like not very large. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And I had a you know a job, and so I was like, well, right. I don't need this book or creative income to pay my bills, and thank goodness for that. So anyway, I just wanted to say, like, I, I just admire the heck out of you and what you do. Thank you. That's so kind. I actually, I brought you on the show to compliment me and tell me that you admire me for my work. So we've checked that off the list. I really appreciate that. And we're done. Non-technical. Right, and that was the whole show. <laughs> Okay, Andrew, I have a question for you that I think is, it might be challenging, but go with me here. How did you spend your last day off? My last day off was yeah. uh, this past weekend and I spent it, this is going to sound so tech bro-y. I, I, I can't sorry, wait. But, I'm excited. Okay, okay, here we go. <laughs> I spent it at my house upstate. Okay. And I rode around on a one wheel that was sent to me by the company. <laughs> Because I I've been it. out in the Bay Area at a micro mobility conference and uh, made friends with you know the reps that were there, so I, I spent the day off uh, messing around on this one wheel, relaxing with the family. It was delightful. Got a little bit of fresh air. Went to a farm stand. Okay. Bought some, you know, apple cider donuts, that kind of thing. Great. So fall vibes, like a nice fall weekend. Yeah, fall weekend compressed into one day uh, because I, I worked the previous day. <laughs> Sure, that makes sense. Okay, yes, I will admit to you the one wheel, that's tech bro for sure, but I think you balanced it out nicely with the rest of it. Oh, thank you. I try. Did you fall? Did you stay up? What was it like? I've never used one. I did fall at least once. That happened. Okay. Like my dismounts were most graceless things in the world. So it's funny, you read the instruction manual for the one wheel. I did read the manual, so there's that. Okay. <laughs> And there were different styles of dismount. And one okay. style of dismount was essentially just like jump off the thing. So I was like, I'm totally going to do that version. <laughs> is there like jump off chaotically? Because that is absolutely how I would be dismounting a one wheel. Yes, that's the way I did it. And I did okay. skate as a kid. Oh, you did? Um, I did snowboard as an adult. So I kind of was cocky. I was like, oh, put me yeah. on this thing. I'll be fine. Plus, mm -hmm. I, I demoed it at the micro mobility conference. Yeah. So it wasn't like my first time on the thing. Wow, I'm really impressed. I am trying to think. I don't think I've ever successfully been on a skateboard or anything like that. Do you have to be very balanced to do the one wheel? Have you been on an, an e-scooter? Yeah. So those things are the easiest. <laughs> yeah, for like, sure. Like, of these. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got handles. No offense to anyone listening to this, but you have to be pretty uncoordinated not to make it work on one it's of those scooters. It's true. I agree. In my opinion, the one wheel is definitely harder than that. It's more akin to a skateboard, I would say. Okay. Uh, and so if you feel confident on a skateboard, I, I think you'd be comfortable. I don't feel confident on a skateboard, but I feel confident, period. So maybe I will try it out and we will see what happens. Have you ever been <laughs> known as the something person? Well, growing up, I was one of the only Asian kids in my school. So I oh, definitely really? grew up as the... Chinese guy, the Asian guy. <laughs> Where did you grow up? Was born in Schenectady, New York, which is upstate. And then I grew up uh, yes. uh, largely in, in a suburb in northern Westchester. I'm from like the northwest corner of Connecticut. So just a couple hours away. 
I mean, I associate you with the Bay Area now, obviously, I guess yeah. as everyone does. Okay. So you mentioned you grew up in New York State. I love an East Coaster. And let me ask you this. Do you have a catchphrase or other words or phrases that you or other people feel are specific to you? I'm told I have a very specific laugh that then people are like, <laughs> that's like the Yang laugh. Okay. Thinking about the catchphrases, what do I say that no one else does? One time on YouTube, someone wrote, Alexis has the most Jimmy Fallon ass laugh. Uh, Is that good? I don't know. But you know what? We'll take it. (laughs) Now now, now I'm listening to your laugh. And you're like, oh, yeah, I hear notes of Jimmy Fallon. Sure. Well, I mean, it is uh, very jubilant. Uh, Jimmy does seem like (laughs) a very happy guy. I mean, yeah, if Jimmy Fallon wants to trade jobs, I'm sure he would do great at hosting non-technical and I'm super down to host a late night show. Oh, wait, I've, I've got a word that I use a lot, but my team Let me hear adopts it. somewhat. <laughs> this okay. is also going to make me seem like a tech bro, whatever. <laughs> Just lean in. <laughs> it's suboptimal. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much when I, when I want, want to say something sucks, but like you don't want to be, yeah. be negative. No. So you just say suboptimal and then it's like, yeah. okay, like we, we know what you mean, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but you're not being a pessimist about it. I definitely also say suboptimal. I do think it's a tech thing. The one tech word that has made its way into my, actually, I'll be totally honest. A lot of tech words have made their way into my normal vernacular, but I find myself using the word optionality in casual conversation. You're not the only one. I thought your park in San Francisco video was brilliant uh, in part because it was so true to life. You are a true (laughs) observer, Alexis. You observe us and then incorporate Uh, our behaviors. It helps that I'm one of us, you know? I mean, I worked in tech for seven years, so it definitely helped. Give me a leg up. I, You know, I, I lived in the Bay Area uh, for between one and three months uh, of the year for four or five years in a row. So I, I, I spent oh, wow. a fair amount of time out there. I thought you were going to say, I lived in the Bay Area for between one and three months. <laughs> so I got it. <laughs> and I was like, honestly, that's kind of all you need. You'll get it very quickly. Yeah, well, it was fun for me is I got to hopscotch around the Bay Area too. Like every time I, I came, I'd stay in a different neighborhood. So oh, that's yeah, awesome. That's so is there a fad and this could be something workout, something fashion-y, cultural that you look back on participating in that now makes you a little cringy? Wow. So uh, I'm 46. So I struggled with my hair when I was growing up, which okay. I'm not sure is an Asian guy thing. And so there was definitely a phase in the late 80s when uh, I used product and it was kind of big and gelled up and spiky. Are we talking like spikes up in the front, like Ross from Friends style? Yeah, something along okay. those lines. It's, it's okay. not, it was not a great look. I'm, I'm, I think the photos are on the internet somewhere. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not proud of that particular phase. I was like, okay. man, that entire like spiky hair. In, in yeah. part because it's the opposite of effortless. It's like, you know, someone had Ooh. to actually mm. invest in like time, energy, trying to like get their hair like that, which is not what yeah. you want. And it looks stupid. So, <laughs> you know, it's like you exerted yourself to look suboptimal. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. I know exactly what you mean. Though I will say that I think that a lot of work also goes into looking effortless. That's a big theory of mine. Same with coolness. I agree. If you can pull off the effortless look, kudos. Mm. There was a certain point in my life, hair-wise, where I just said, here's what it looks like. And then there we go. I leaned in. I don't resist it. Okay. So here's here's something I did. 
that uh, some people, you know, who I went to high school with remember. I had this cow lick in the back that would just like poof up and I was trying to manage it. (laughs) And so one of the devices I discovered was that if I matted it down with a bandana, um, then it would stay down. So I would uh, sometimes wear a bandana and then there was a particular look associated with that, obviously. Yes. Um, and so then some kids mocked me mercilessly. Sure. This is the 90s. I mean, you know, kids are... <laughs> but, like, you know, it was mainly just to try and, you know, keep the Asian fro down. You know, that was one of the things I remember from that time. Wow. I, I'll be honest, I've never tried a bandana look. Maybe I should give, maybe we should bring it back. So if you had the bandana on, it would look like yeah. you're a house painting or something. I think that's yes. like the, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm just trying to manage my hair because I'm hard at work. Yes, exactly. Maybe I teach art to kindergartners or something like that. And we were doing finger painting. I think that's the resulting look if I wore a bandana. Yeah. I mean, I'll keep shot. you posted. Okay, Andrew, what is the tiniest hill that you're willing to die on? So something inconsequential that you would really go to bat for. So I I campaigned on this, my presidential race. Hmm. We really should get rid of the penny. The penny makes no sense at all. It costs more than one cent to produce it. Oh, for sure. It's bad for the environment. If someone's using it, it's just like a a terrible use of everyone's time. Anyone who's been behind someone, and this is the stereotypes, like the little old lady who's like using pennies, you're like, oh, someone you know, like end this transaction. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but macro, I looked at like the cost of the penny is literally in the tens of millions of dollars a year. Like we just got rid of it. <gasps> Everyone's life would be better. That is so interesting. And I guess, you know, Abe Lincoln, he's on the penny, right? <laughs> Love Abe. Abe gets the nickel. I have no idea who's in the nickel. We're kicking someone off the nickel? Love honest Abe, but you know, the, the penny's got to go. So that, that's Isn't a tiny Isn't he also hill. on the $5 bill? Am I crazy? That's true. He's got 500 He's got times two. the penny already. Just, and Easy. he'd much rather be on the five. Shut it down. Honestly, I think this is the most compelling case for getting rid of the penny yet, which is Abe's got two. How did that happen? Yeah, what's up with that? (laughs) Well, Andrew, I'll talk to my people and surely I'll be able to get this done and I'll keep you posted and you and I can go to bat for this one together. I mean, I ran on uh, all these ideas and that was one of, I think we had like 175 uh, like policy proposals. Just a casual 175 policy proposals. Well, if you weren't doing what you do now professionally, what would you be doing? Wow, so, such an interesting question. I, you know, so I'm at a very strange point in my life and career, Alexis, that you might be able to relate to. Hmm. I'm kind of myself for a living, or I'm sort of a public figure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Which is weird because yeah. I had what you'd consider a fairly normal job not that long ago. Right. So when you ask what I would be doing, uh, you know, I, I guess I would um, have a normal job again, but, I, I'm, yeah. but I'm not even sure what that looks like now. Because your job is sort of being Andrew Yang. My job is kind of trying to make positive things happen, which requires being Andrew mm-hmm. Yang. And I will say it's uplifting where, you know, people run into me on the street. They're just like, yo, Andrew mm-hmm. Yang. And, and you know, 99 times out of 100, they're very happy to see me. My job is to make people happy, I suppose. But if, if you were to just like turn off the last several years and I, I was just doing my thing somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I'd find right. some problem to solve. What's a problem that I'm fairly passionate about uh, outside of fixing democracy, alleviating poverty, uh, sensible crypto regulation, data rights. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'd probably do something on one of those fronts. Yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. You could hop right into crypto. There's plenty of opportunities. 
You know, I'm going to share this with you, Alexis. Tell me. So people ask me, it's like, hey, do you hold crypto, blah, blah, blah. And mm. I haven't held crypto except through a fund this whole time because I never wanted anyone to accuse me of just trying to self-deal, profit, boost oh, my own sure. holdings, et yeah, cetera. That makes sense. Because I wanted it to be clean uh, that, that sure. I'm advocating for this. It's not self-interested. Anyway, just sharing that small thing. No, that's great. I now own some NFTs because I made a video about NFTs. And as a part of that, I launched a set of thumbnails from the video as NFTs. It was really Nicely fun. Nicely done. Yeah. I love it. Yep. So now I've got some ETH. <laughs> We're in the I, mix. That, that's great. Now you're you're part of the, the ETH club universe. Oh, yeah. Thank God. My lifelong goal achieved. Okay. How about this? What is something non-work related that you're really proud of? I'm proud of the fact that I can still... This is going to sound bro-y again. I'm so, I sound like it's a bro. I'm not worried about it. I'm proud of the fact that I can crank out 25 to 30 push-ups at a moment's notice. Hell yeah. that <laughs> That's a lot of push-ups. That sounds like a lot. That is, right? I, I mean, I, like I'm proud of it, so I guess I must think so. But <laughs> I'm proud of it. I'm proud of you. <laughs> well, thank you, Alexis. You're welcome. Look at that. That's amazing. I think I could do five. I could probably do five. If really, if push up came to shove, I could do five. All right. Is there a song that whenever you hear it takes you back in time to a specific moment? There are so many songs that resemble that. So many. Yeah. But you can pretty much pick just about any song from the 80s. And I'm just like, oh, I remember that terrible junior high dance, that high school dance where they <laughs> played that. Why were they terrible, the junior high dances? Because I was like the dorky Asian kid standing in the corner, like scared of everybody. Were you ever popular in school? So I first became popular when I went to these nerd camps called CTY. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And then then there I was like the cool nerd or the relatively cool nerd. And so that was my first brush with... Uh, what With you'd coolness, po- popularity, yeah. With popularity, I was never popular. So when I think of junior high dances, I also think of like standing around. <laughs> So uh, my, my brush with popularity at nerd camp got me very addicted to it. And I said, I will not rest until I achieve them. Um, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Yang on a lifelong mission to be popular. Yes. So the in terms of the songs, the memories, okay. I will yeah. definitely say this because it's a CTY thing. They used to close every dance at CTY with uh, American Pie. Great. A classic. Yeah, and so we would we would sway to it. So I have very strong associations with that song. You uh, would sway summer. to it. Yeah, like we'd, we'd get into circles and like, oh, okay. uh, it, was, it was very, very campy. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah, so I, I can tell you what the CTY anthems were from this era. Yeah, I would love um, to hear. So it was Forever Young by Alphaville, like the original version. Of course, not the remix. Fields of Gold by Sting was there. Okay, I don't know that one. Bizarre Love Triangle by New Order. Okay. I might have screwed up the sting timing. That might be wrong because I was also a counselor at this camp. Oh, really? How many years were you at camp? I went to CTY for three or four summers as a kid. Like I was 12, Hmm. 13, 14, and 15. So at least four summers. And then I went back and was a counselor when I was uh, 19 and 20. Oh, wow. So this was a big part of your adolescence. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, well, and the great thing, too, is that, like, you know, my parents were so totally into it because it's like I was learning stuff. So they're like, go, oh, go, go. Sure. And then I would go and, and be like, yay, and like run around. And then uh, as a <laughs> and then as a camp counselor, it was a pretty good summer job. Like they paid you and stuff. Yeah, of course. So those are some of my fondest memories that summer camp and as a counselor. So I could be figuring out 
uh, like messing up the chronology because some mm. of these songs might have been played at when I was a counselor. These Are Days by 10,000 Maniacs was definitely on the list. So there are all these like summer camp songs. These Are Days reminds me of a very specific summer in my life because someone put it on a mix CD for me. Was this a boy that liked you very, very much, Alexis? <laughs> oh my God, Andrew. The truth is, it is a boy that I had a huge crush on and I wished that he liked me, but he didn't. He just wanted to. How could he make a mix CD for you and not like you? Because that is a sign of deep affection for adolescents. Can you believe it? Also, would you believe he had the audacity to go and like grow up and marry someone else? I would accuse this person of leading you on in a very, very serious way. Because if I made a mix CD for someone, it meant that I loved them. I'm going to text him. I'm going to call him up and I'm going to be like, Nick, Andrew Yang and I have some thoughts, okay? Yeah. So if you remember him making that mix CD for you, then he owes you an apology and explanation. I know. Sure. it's, But that was also totally the story of my like middle school life, high school life, whatever, is just being hopelessly in love with boys that were like, we're cool as friends. And I was like, dope. Awesome. <laughs> that That's like me liking girls, minus the they wanting to be friends with me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Just like full pass. It's a full pass exit through the friend zone. That was pretty much the way I was going. I feel you. But look at us now. Both both on non-technical World famous podcast empires. Verified on Twitter. I mean, the list goes on. Yes. We send our social media snippets to these people that turned us down in junior high and high school every day being like, look what you missed out on. That's right. You could have had all of this. I will let them know. (laughs) Okay. I have a two-part question for you. First part is who would play you in a movie about your life? Daniel Day Kim. Oh my God. Artie, perfect answer. I love him. He's an incredible actor. The second part is... Is this movie going to be a biopic? So start of your life to present day, or should we focus in on a particular chapter of your life that you think would make a great movie? To the extent that there is a storyline that should be made into Mm -hmm. a movie, uh, it it is my presidential campaign because that shit was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So someone definitely needs to make this movie. I mean, and this is a plug too. So the sure. first third of my book uh, is about the presidential campaign. And, and you know, like I, I thought it was pretty funny. Um, and then my campaign manager, Zach, is writing a full on book about it uh, that's going to come out early next year that oh, I amazing. insist needs to be made into a movie of some kind or a TV series. Because that great. It, it's just really, really funny. It's true to life. So I, I think that that if you were to do a, a, a biopic, most of my life is pretty dull up until then. Well, except for CTY, where you crushed it. Uh, and, I mean, who the hell wants to, you know, w- w- watch like the least nerdy nerd running around summer camp? I mean, that's not exactly. I think like... a lot of people. I honestly, <laughs> there's a lot of people. There's a lot of different types of content that could get made. But I agree that I think your presidential run would make a fantastic movie. Also, your campaign manager, Zach, from Connecticut. Good people. Good people come yeah, from Connecticut. So, so that, I think that that's where it should go. It'll be like Daniel Day Kim reflecting on his uh, rise to the presidency. Uh, and then people would be like, wait a minute, you didn't win. And be like, let's shh. Sh- 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Alternate ending. This is the director's cut. <laughs> the director is Andrew Yang. That's right. Uh, you know, one of the jokes I told on the trail was, this is the simulation where we win. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. Do you think we're living in a simulation currently? Oh, like if my push gosh. came to shove, yes or no, what do you think? Mathematically, you would say we probably are. 
right? And I've had some experiences too that suggest that we are. What's an experience that suggests you're living in a simulation? Well, Alexis, keep keep in mind, you're talking to a guy who ran for president of the United States. and That is true. And became a nationally recognized figure in the process. Yeah. So if anyone would look up and say, this is definitely a simulation, it would be someone like me because sure. my life has been so singularly weird. Yeah. <laughs> On my own making, sort of. Yeah. But it, it's, it's not the kind of thing that works ordinarily So from my perspective, it definitely Mm. feels like I'm living in some either fictionalized world of someone's creation, uh, I guess. It's it's like something you feel. Wow. Not at the same scale as you, but I really relate to that feeling sometimes where I'm like, I look around and I think, is this really, is this okay? All right. Yeah. I mean, if it's a simulation works for me, I'm having a great time. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so glad you're having a great time. I'm generally having a great time too. I mean, that certainly there have been some very stressful periods over the last yeah. several years, but generally, you know, like super happy. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, I think uh, there's a phrase that I really love, which some of the stuff, I, I know this makes me sound like a total Pollyanna, but it's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are happy. Yeah, I love it. I love that. You probably do the same thing I do, which is like, I have a gratitude list and anytime mm. i'm down i just look at my phone and it's a list of things i'm grateful for and like you know number oh, one really is like smart. you know my wife number two yep. is like you know uh my my first son number three is my second son <laughs> but then there's just some random things on there alexis yep like what my favorite pizza place uh like there's one thing there it's just i've achieved many of my goals without having to destroy my soul in the process like yeah i've, I've like random yeah. things like that listed that i i can still get out and play basketball uh, mm-hmm. you know, like somewhat competitively, uh, yeah. which, which is something that, that I'm, I'm proud of. So they're, they're like things where it's like, oh, I am grateful for that. I'm grateful for that too. And like, you know, totally. some of them are kind of minor and dumb, but yeah, that, it always makes me feel better to your point that grateful people are happy. So anyone yes. listening to this, if you're down and I know sometimes it's hard not to be down in, in this yes. day and age, just make yourself a list of things you're grateful for and add something to it every once in a while. And anytime you're down in the dumps, just refer to it and it will help. And that's yeah. not just me saying so. That's like, that's data to the extent. Right. <laughs> like, that, this stuff totally works. Right. We're nothing if not data backed. So I would agree 100%. Andrew, okay. So this is a question that I've actually never asked before, but I'm curious. What is the least expensive item in your home that brings you the most joy? So I'm, I'm drinking a bubble tea as we have this conversation. It's oh, not really? Very expensive. It's maybe like four ninety. I can show it to you. Okay. The yeah. Like this. Let me see. Amazing. What's your bubble tea order? Almond, thirty percent sugar, less ice. Okay. If they have almond milk tea, which sure. most do, and then after that, just traditional milk tea. Same. I I tend to skip bubbles. I swap. I was gonna ask. I swap in red beans for bubbles. Oh, really? Yes. I just like red beans. I have a confession to make about bubble tea, which is that I I don't like it. It's too sweet for me. We must cease this conversation immediately. <laughs> no, um, so, so, so the thing I would say, Alexis, uh, yeah, if, tell me. If, you, if you want to, is you can get 30% sugar or 0% sugar and you might like it more. What is it then though? Like if I were to say no sugar, it sounds to me like it would just be tea with milk. Yeah, doesn't that sound delightful? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You got me there. That's a really good point. Okay, so what is the most memorable gift you've ever received or given? Either or? Hmm. Yeah. Gift, eh? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Are you a good gift giver? You know, I used to be above average, and now really? I'm well, well, well below average. Ooh, uh, really poor, I would say. Mm. So mm. my wife just turned 40, and I managed to rally and be like a reasonably good husband. Okay. Um, and so like I I planned, uh, you know, a party, and it was like uh, nice. I had like, you know, fairly touching speech. <laughs> fairly touching. Well, okay, amazing. <laughs> it, it was funny, too. Oh, okay, good. But it's been like a very, very dry period for me in terms of my mm. gift giving and thoughtfulness, which I, you know, I'm super grateful that Evelyn's let me get away with this for a little while. But before then, if you rewind way back, I was pretty good. Uh, so I'm thinking about the things I did when I was pretty good. Why do you think you used to be better at giving gifts than you are now? So I used to be kind of an anxious, shy, introverted figure who'd like look at people around me and like be scared to talk to uh, mm. to girls. And so then you become like mildly obsessed with what other people would like, uh, I suppose. And so I, I was oh. the person who would be frankly, probably like a little bit cloying or creepy. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Where'd be like, wait, 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 I'll do the invitation. Like, I see you like this thing. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like that, but but uh, but that's like the invitation I'm sure, giving. Of, you sure. know, someone who's like a little bit too attentive, and I was very sensitive when I was young. So during that time, hmm. you know, I, I would care a lot about various things. And I would buy, buy people. You know, I remember as a teenager, I'd like buy girls I, I I was crushing on like jewelry that made no sense, like stuff like that. Oh wow! You're like, oh wow, that is pretty bad. No. I'm just, I was honestly, I was like, for a teenager, I feel like buying jewelry, that's like a nice gift. As we just established, first of all, no one is buying me any gifts other than mix CDs to put me in the friend zone. But yeah, I think jewelry from a teenager is a nice gift, but it, it depends who it's coming from. Yeah, no, I'm thinking about when I was younger and then I'm thinking about when Emily and I were together before I entered my now unmindful zone. Um, and so yeah. what, what changed for me is that uh, over the last several years, my schedule and energies have just become very, very outward public facing. And so mm. I'll just give you the, the real life example. So I'm on the road running for president. I come back to the family like, you know, one, two days a week and like yeah. I stick my head in and then I have no idea what's going on. And if there's an occasion, like, I don't know. And if it, and let, let's say it was one of my child's birthday, like I know it was his birthday, but it's not, I, I wasn't all like part of the planning. So I'd get there yeah, and there'd be course. like a party that I just kind of showed up to. So, and again, my family mm. has been awesome and, and loving and supportive, but I, yeah. ha I haven't exactly been winning like husband of the year or dad of the year competitions um, over the last <laughs> several, several years. It would shock me to learn that you had been. How could one singular person possibly do all of those things at the same time? Thank you for being understanding. Um, really, I just thank Evelyn for being understanding over this past period of time. So in terms of gifts that I am proud of or remember, I got my brother-in-law a Shinola watch. I was like proud of that at oh, the time. Shinola made in Detroit. Yeah. So as part of Venture for America, I spent a lot of time and I I'm friendly with uh, the Shinola team. Uh, the oh, founder is a great guy named uh, Tom Cartsotis, and he truly started Chinola just to try and, you know, do something awesome and positive. That's great. So there's a period when I bought people Chinola gifts, and, and I was proud of that Chinola watch because I think my brother-in-law really likes it, and he wears it to this day. That's really nice. Shinola was actually a part of a gift-giving tradition at the last company I worked for in tech. 
Patreon, where my manager, who is now a good friend of mine, actually, Bremner Morris, he's also been on the podcast. He bought all of us like new Shinola notebooks on our first day. And so then when I became a manager, I started buying new Shinola notebooks for all of my direct reports on their first day. And so it became a nice little tradition to give like this nice notebook to your new hire. Uh, I, that's lovely. I really love Shinola. Uh, and yeah. if you go to their their retail locations, it, it's uplifting. Uh, and you know mm. that the stuff genuinely is made in, in the U.S. And I've been to the facilities in Detroit. I think that they're doing something really positive. That's great. Do you write a lot in a notebook? Do you write by hand? Or do you type mostly? I definitely don't do any handwriting. One of the things that I've shared with some folks is that when I was running for president, I actually didn't write anything, which I regretted, but I just didn't have the energy. Mm. Like I was running for president. Yeah. And it, at the end of the day, I wasn't like, oh, let me reflect on what happened. I was just like, oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but then after I came off the trail, I wrote a, a lot and, you know, wrote uh, this book that came out a few weeks ago forward uh, mm. that I'm very proud of. Yeah. Uh, and and now that my life is kind of, you know, somewhat in balance, I try to write, uh, but it's definitely not by hand. I write by hand because it slows me down, slows down my thinking. I type too fast. You know why I type too fast? Because I went to a typing day camp when I was in fourth grade. What is your max speed? This is very <laughs> important, Alexis. I actually haven't tested it in a long time, but I remember I tested it in college. And I think I hit like 110 words per minute or something like that. That is very, very fast. Is the narrative starting to take shape that I was not a cool person? This is college. I'm like 20 years old. And I remember one night being like, damn, I wonder if I'm still a fast typist. I 100% did the same things at typingtest.com. Yes, was like, right? It was like, <laughs> like, what can I max out at? Wait, now this is what I'm going to do this afternoon. <laughs> I'm so scared, Alexis, because my Fat fingers, I'm sure, have slowed down. Oh, no. You got to stay nimble. Stay agile. <laughs> I am very proud to say that I yeah. was also in that range where like, I was landing above 100 words per minute, and it was a point of pride. Okay. I'm going to have to check out where mine is today because I would be sad to learn if I've slipped. The Andrew Yang Alexis Gay typing test competition yes, is on, and what will it. be at stake... <laughs> The championship of the internet. Yes, Typing exactly. Championship. We'll get a, a, a giant trophy made. We'll see if anyone else wants to participate in the in this nerdy competition. I honestly, there are probably a lot of people that would want to participate, but just know that I will take this so seriously. Like I would practice a lot. <laughs> I don't. I don't do a lot of things halfway. <laughs> we could a hundred percent make this a thing. That would be so fun. <laughs> okay, well, I'll talk to Zach. No, well, we, we could put this together, the, like do a challenge, like pick a charity of some kind. And oh, then, I like, love people that. People put up stakes. There could be a betting pool. Oh, my yes. gosh. Oh, like this is great. In, our, in both of our copious amounts of free time. It has to be a bracket. Wait, that's brilliant. We get 64 of us. Yes, we okay. So we need sixty-four people to participate. Have you ever put together a bracket for something really, really silly? Because I have a great example of one that I've done. Uh, no, this would be my first. What, what, what was yours? I hosted a Mario Kart tournament. That's good. That's good. We can draw on those skills now for this, Alexis. Yeah, I really, I really went all out for it. I made seven-layer Rainbow Road Jello shots wow, to celebrate. Seven. The, wow. Yes. Oh, because Rainbow Road, of course. Did you ever play Mario Kart? Yes. Okay. On the N64? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're like, look, someone handed me a controller. I did my yeah, best. Yeah, like I was, I was there. I played Mario. Yeah, she take the wheel. It happened. It happened. Yeah. So the seven layer Jello shots were because Rainbow Road is the like famous final race in the cup, uh, and so that it had to be done. So um, when I'm thinking about this, this championship, this competition. Yeah. So mm-hmm. one of the the major variables we'd have to determine is whether these contests take place in person or virtually. I mean, virtually would be a lot easier. Yeah. Well, virtually would also be nice because you could just take a screenshot of your score and share it. Oh my gosh, you're right. You just yeah. do it in real time. Uh, yeah. But, you know, so you and I know this too, though, but there would have to be some kind of referee because... 100%. If you have a typing test passage you mm-hmm. literally can just memorize the passage and then get better at it like you know what i, I bet you you That's did this point. when you were on it so of it course. has to be like a, a passage that both of you get sprung on you don't know what it is and oh then you God. both do it. You know what I okay. mean? Like, it's not like I just produced a screenshot. Okay. That's a great point. Also, in this scenario, it needs to be proctored. Okay. It needs to be like people are on Zoom and then there's another person on Zoom proctoring the situation. The prompt yeah. is then shared on the screen. That's yeah. how it would have to be done. This is, this is, wow. we have to do something like this. It has to be synchronous. It has, you know, there, there has to, of course. You know, it, it, it's not some take home test bullshit. No, of course not. Are you kidding? <laughs> It sounds like we have a lot of good optionality, though, here for different paths we could take. Okay. All right. Continuing. I'm feeling optimistic. (laughs) What is something that you're really good at that it would surprise people to learn about you? So we know you're good at basketball. We know you're good at push-ups or that you can do 20 to 30 of them. What is something that would surprise most people? Wow. What am I good at? So I'm not good at a lot of things. Um, You know, if you want to make a list of things that I'm really bad at, it's like very, very I'm sure that's not true. But I feel the same way. If someone asked me this question, I'd be like, uh, I think I would probably say Mario Kart, honestly. So so people would expect me to be good at video games, which, by the way, I, I, I was pretty good at video games. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> what was your game of choice? Well, so I just rolled up to like a Miss Pac-Man machine the other day and, you know, like wasn't like a crazy like high score, but I like yeah. broke it. And I knew I could. So it was yeah. that sort of thing. So but that, that I, I think that wouldn't surprise people because I, sure. I remind them of that person. <laughs> Wait, can I ask you a quick video game question? Were you a Tetris player? Yes. I wasn't exceptional at Tetris, but I, I did play and, you know, got, got those blocks in the brain kind of phenomenon. When yes. You start seeing oh, them. that's why I asked because I don't want to say like I am a huge Tetris person. It's not like I play all the time now, but I love Tetris. I love it. I played it so much in high school that when I would close my eyes to sleep, like I would see, I would see the blocks. Yeah. Seeing the blocks. It's a real condition. I know. It's called... <laughs> Blockscopia. No, let's bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Something I'm good at that people would be surprised by. Um, yeah. And I'm, so I'm sort of projecting onto what people think I'm, I'd be good at. I was going to say I'm good at Scrabble, but I think most people would know would like kind of guess that. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people who've written books, word games, it wouldn't surprise me to learn they're good at them. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I probably come across as literate. I. <laughs> Something I've always thought about you. Andrew Yang is, in fact, literate. It's like major breaking news. Scoop on the pod. I'm an adequate juggler. Really? That does surprise me. I was not expecting that. What kind of stuff can you juggle? Oh, just nothing spectacular. Just, you know, I can juggle three objects of, like, similar size for some period of time. Like Clementine. (laughs) Yeah, like the normal stuff. Again, the keyword being adequate. Why can you juggle? It was just, I was on the high school tennis team. And so, you know, we Mm, were just, mm -hmm. like, bored on on tennis courts all the time. And so we were just, like, 
juggle tennis balls and then have mild competitions. Sure. Okay. You know what? As somebody also from the East Coast, that all totally checks out to me. Andrew Yang, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Bets Recruiting. Whether you're looking to hire the best go-to-market talent or looking for your next opportunity, Bets can help. Okay, friends, I'm bringing you what I think may be the one and only time I allow myself to use a phrase like this on the podcast. Here we go. Let's talk about the future of work. I'm not telling you anything you don't know when I say the future of work is kind of happening right now. Companies all over are figuring out whether they want folks in the office or out of the office or kind of in the office or pods or whatever. You may be having those conversations at your company and you may or may not like what's being decided. Either way, the good news is you can join the Bets Recruiting Network to find a company that's totally aligned with what you're looking for from your work setup. Whether that's being in office, best buds with your deskmate, or literally never finding out how tall your coworker is. Learn more about finding your next role or hiring top talent at betsrecruiting.com slash non-technical. And we're back with Andrew Yang, entrepreneur, author, and former U.S. presidential and New York City mayoral candidate. Andrew, we've arrived at a very exciting moment in this episode of Non-Technical. Do you think you're ready? Yes. Yes, I love that answer. We've arrived at the lightning round. Okay, first question for you, coffee or tea? Milk tea. (laughs) (laughs) Do you drink coffee at all? I like coffee. If I order something, it would probably be something like a decaf mocha. It's just I I try and avoid hard caffeine. I studied martial arts when I was a a teenager, and that was one of the rules of the dojo. So it gets kind of stuck with me. Really? Oh, I never knew that. I would not do well at a dojo. Yeah, I guess not. (laughs) At least not at that dojo. I can tell you some fun things. So it was like Master Kim, one of his things was he would say, did I miscommand or did you misunderstand? And then the correct answer was always, I misunderstood. Of course. Oh, of course. (laughs) Oh, good old Master Kim. Are you an iOS or an Android user? iOS. Forever and always? No, no. I was a PC guy for a long time. And then I was an Android person for a while. I was a BlackBerry guy. I had a Palm Pilot. I had a bunch of devices that died. You had a Palm Pilot. I had the opposite of the Midas touch where any platform I touched (laughs) then like disintegrated around me. And I was like, oh, I have to learn something new. I actually learned that Palm script with the stylus. Oh, yes. Oh my God. I haven't thought about that in like maybe 20 years. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. So at some point I got an iPhone and and, uh, uh, a Mac and the rest of it. Do you have a favorite board game? Risk. Oh, I yeah? always liked Risk. Yeah. Do you still play? We play board games with the kids, for sure. Uh, we've been playing Monopoly more than Risk, though, which I, I'm, I'm cool with. I mean, I like Monopoly. We have, for whatever yeah. reason, reason, we have at least three versions of Monopoly in the house. What's your favorite Monopoly version? Oh, well, there was one that, that's like a set of characters they really like. I think it might be Super Mario. Yeah, it might, might be like a like a Super Mario-themed Monopoly. Wait, that's so cool. Do your kids play Mario Kart? They have, for sure, yeah. Okay, they could probably beat me, to be totally honest. No. I feel like kids, you don't think so? My kids aren't very good at it, I don't think. Okay. <laughs> have you ever read a book twice? Yes, for sure. Any particular one come to mind? Oh, it's going to make me a tech bro again. Um, I used to really, really love the book Built to Last by Jim Collins and Jerry Porras. And I read that thing like five times. Oh, sure. I think there's no shame in loving a good tech book, a good tech business book. There are many that I consider some of my favorites. Oh, good. So fun. Yeah, the, the <laughs> like the, the canon crossing the chasm. 
innovators dilemma, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay, do you have a pump-up song? Yes, I have a bunch of pump-up songs because I ran for president. Um, sure, so the, I so bet. the campaign theme song is Return of the Mac, and that always gets me in a good mood. I played this Florence and the Machine song, The Dog Days Are Over, sometimes oh, to get pumped up. I love that song. Mm-hmm. Those two come to mind. Dog Days Are Over is an excellent pump-up song. When I was at NYU, I took a songwriting class, and we had to bring in a song to analyze, and that was the song that I chose. Wow, look at that. Great minds, Alexis. Fun fact. I yeah. feel like you and I could be friends. I think we could be friends, too. <laughs> That's actually why I do the show. This is just so that I can make friends with cool people who I think I have a lot in common with. Well, it's working. <laughs> it's working. Good. I'm happy to hear it. Okay. This is sadly my final question for you. What would you title your memoir? Well, I don't know. I think this is a hard question because you'll you'll probably have a memoir, don't you think? It's interesting, Alex. I've written a few books now. And in each book, I had to write a chapter about myself and I mm. didn't enjoy it. And so I would just, yeah. but it's funny, there are now three different versions of chapters about myself because hmm. in order to, you know, just to have some narrative connection or flow, it's like, yeah. well, let me just tell you what, what, like who the hell I am and what, what I've been up to. I wouldn't want to make an entire book about that. So like it, it ends up being about these ideas, you know, um, like the, yeah. my latest book is about trying to make our democracy work by Yep. advancing from the duopoly. But if I had to write a memoir, I mean, some of the things that come to mind, I, I don't have a ready title, to be honest with you. I feel kind of lame about, given that I, I should should be on this. I don't think that's lame at all. I actually don't have a good answer to this question myself, which surprises a lot of people. But I think it's because it's very hard for me to visualize writing a memoir. Like, I wouldn't want to write a book about myself. I would write a book. I don't know if I would want to write a book about me. I am with you. I'm going to share with you something that this might be deeply personal, but uh, it was... So I, I just read a book by an author named Jay Caspian Kang, who's coming on my, mm. on my podcast, uh, who wrote a book called The Loneliest Americans, and it's about mm. Asian American identity. And he put something in there that made me laugh out loud when I read it. Really? He, he was talking about a particular guy named, named Doug, who's like, you know, trying to make it in Hollywood. And then he said about Doug, this story is pathetic, but most Asian American stories are pathetic. <gasps> and when I read this, I like laughed out loud and then really? showed my wife, Evelyn. And then we had like, uh, you know, and she also got like, a chuckle out of it. She didn't find it as funny as I did. So then mm. I talked to the author. Yeah. Jake hang about this. Be like, hey, this was a line in your book. Um, you know, what were you thinking when you wrote this book? And I told him, like, yes. you know, I, I found it really funny. He said, you know, Andrew, it's like no one gives a shit about what's going on with uh, like the internal lives of Asian dudes. Like, it, it's just mm. not like a thing anyone cares about. Mm. He said that he felt this deep ambivalence about writing a book about something that the thesis is that no one gives a shit about. Wow. That, that was like the circularity of it. Wow. And I thought that was really interesting and kind of profound. And so mm. then when you ask me to like imagine my memoir or whatever, like yes. I totally draw a blank in part because I can't imagine writing a book about myself in that way. Um, and I think it has something to do with that conversation with Jay mm -hmm. where it's mm -hmm. like, so, and, and so th this could be something, you know, like, so I, I ran for president uh, and mayor. And so you're going around doing things. I'd like, you know, a message and a vision for the campaign, its goals and the rest of it. Yeah. And there are ups and downs. There's some adversity and whatnot. 
And one of the reasons I think that I was able to make headway, and this is true, I think probably for a lot of creatives, is mm. that you just like kind of set aside and compartmentalize the negative and just focus on the positive and be like, all right, you know what? Like that didn't go our way. It's fine. It's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Keep, yep. keep going. Iterate. Yeah, iterate and the rest of it. And, and I think that mindset is highly practical and helpful and useful when you're trying mm. to catalyze a popular movement or, you know, mm-hmm. like the, like change like a broken system. I think it does hew away from trying to talk about yourself a lot. You know what mm. I mean? It's a, like like you're almost prepared or conditioned in a certain way that makes you capable of some things, but maybe more uncomfortable with others. Wow. That's really interesting. And the comparison of creative work that resonates with me is that how much of what I'm creating is an expression of myself versus just something that I'm creating. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable too, because so the first time I wrote a book back in 2014, you know, the book wasn't about me, but it was about like these ideas for yeah. America and the rest of it. And it feels very, very personal because you're like talking about yeah. your book and you're pretty much like, hey, buy my book, read my book. It's good. Yeah. And it's impossible not to take that personally. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, right. like if someone's like, hey, I, you know, have no interest in your book or <laughs> whatever right. it is, then like, like it does make <laughs> you really sad. You're like, oh, but I like worked hard on it, the rest of it. And so I really feel for what you just said, which is like you do this thing Mm. and you identify with it very personally because it's impossible not to. It's like, you know, I I fucking created this thing. Like I invested time and energy. (laughs) I will say, though, when people don't like the things that I make, I don't consider it an attack on me, even though it is me. I isolate myself from that entirely. I think that isn't me. That is a thing that I made. And then I try to focus my energy back to, all right, let's make the next thing. That is very, very productive and healthy, I think it's the only reason I'm able to put my face on the internet. Because otherwise, oh my God, what would I do? I would be so (laughs) sad What indeed, what indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, it is very, very healthy. I do the same thing in most instances. The book is sort of an exception because, you know, it's such a labor. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, and you feel like you put a lot of yourself into it. Whereas if, you know, someone doesn't care about, you know, a tweet of mine, I'm like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really great point and good advice for us all. Okay, well, I kind of hope, based on everything we just talked about, that you do write a memoir. I'll be totally honest. I think it would be, I think it would be good. Well, for, for what it's worth, my, my new book is, I would say, about 40% memoir. So you oh, can, really? Y- y- okay. Yeah, so, so you can check it out and, and be the judge. That would be fantastic. And speaking of your incredible book, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on Non-Technical. This has been such a treat. Where can people find more about you online? Go to andrewyang.com uh, or forwardparty.com. Uh, it's got information about what I'm up to now, uh, the book, the podcast, the events, the political movement. Join us yes. and let's fix things. Yeah. Andrea.com is probably the easiest way. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at Non Technical Pod on Twitter. Andrew, one more time, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to talk to me today. You kidding? We're best buds, and I am going to beat you at the typing test, and then you Dude, will not don't. be thanking me. I am literally going to start practicing immediately. There's no chance. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.